we're now going to have the second Bible reading, which is uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Bow our heads and hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray your blessing upon us as your people, that we would hear your word, that you would speak through it to us, and that you would convict us in understanding and in our hearts so that we may go from this place equipped to serve you and give you the glory in all things. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, a very warm welcome uh, to you. Um, I'm quite used to having so many uh, microphones in front of me. The, the next couple of weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm going to just look at some of the passages that... Uh, I have considered briefly in Mem Hall at Scotch College, uh, for those who are visitors, I'm a chaplain at Scotch, and uh, our, we've got ten minutes to talk about some of the big themes. You'll be thinking of getting a ten minute sermon here this morning. Uh, you'll find out that that's not going to be the case, but it gives you an opportunity for me, an opportunity just to reflect a little further on what we've already looked at uh, at Scotch and uh, today I want us to look at the love of Christ and the courage that we require at times as we face the things that threaten our very faith. And there are times when our faith is threatened, uh, threatened from the events that occur in our own lives, personal events. Sometimes we can think we're going through life without a care in the world and then all of a sudden things go wrong. Uh, are, we are told that uh, we will be made, being made redundant, that uh, uh, our doctor comes with a prognosis and we don't like the sound of it, uh, so that events can overcome us at times and that can have an impact on our relationships, but ultimately it can have an impact on our relationship with God. 
we stop, we think, and we say, oh God, where are you? Well, why is this happening to me? And we can become angry with God, and it feels as if our faith deserts us at the times of crisis. And Paul is processing in this wonderful chapter of Romans chapter 8, and asks the question, what can separate us from the love of God? How do we deal and cope in a life when we feel that God has forgotten us? And perhaps in your Christian walk and life at this moment, everything in the garden is rosy. Give thanks to God for that. But maybe this is a time where you feel your spiritual life is arid and dry, a time where God is distant, and you're worried about the future. And perhaps these words this morning we can get comfort from or store the information for when the rocky times come our way. I want us to note three things. The first of which is to, to note the strength of God's love to us. And it would be good if we could have the passage in Romans 8 before us. Because I'm going to look at verses 35 and 36 to look at the strength of God's love. Uh, we read uh, here about uh, God's love to us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The context is that Paul is writing to Christians in Rome some of whom are already beginning to experience hardship for the faith. And the great thing is that he, he is focusing their minds first and foremost on God's love itself. This is not some kind of airy-fairy, up-in-the-sky, romantic notion, all gooey and soft about God's love. He's talking here about God's love that is active, God's love that has interrupted the very history of the world and ripped it open and inserted his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh. God has tabernacled, become flesh in history because of his great love for us. And that's what we see in the previous verse. You can't read this passage without kind of going backwards and forwards because it is so beautiful and intricate and woven. But here he mentions that God has come in Jesus Christ. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life. Here's the love of God incarnate. Here is the love of God for us. The one who has come into this world to die on a cross and to be raised again to life eternal and life with the Father. And God speaks of that, that love. And Paul reminds the Christian people there of the love of God in Christ Jesus we're not speaking of our love for God. It is God's active love for us. He loved us before we loved him. Our love 
Our earthly love is fickle and fallible and soon at times runs out. But God's love is faithful and true. And Paul thinks over his life here in these verses and he remembers the times of God's love and he can give an experience and a testimony to what he has experienced down through the age. The very power, the very strength of God's love. How God has brought him through all the circumstances up to that moment in his walk with God. All the encouragements and all the discouragements, God's love has been strong. And so he lists here those things that could have separated him from Christ's love. He puts them out there as a hypothesis and lists these things, these seven things. And he says that God's love is is stronger than the very pressures that you face. The the, the word there is is, is tribulation or or trouble in in verse 35. He he looks at it and says, look, here it is. God's love is stronger than the trouble that we face. The Greek word there, uh, the Greek word uh, has that sense of pressure that comes in from the side. It's it's almost like uh, putting your finger in a vice uh, in a workshop. Uh, if you put it in, you kind of think, oh, I wonder how tight I can put it. You know, boys do this, okay? And, uh, and eventually, it's, it's, that's a bit nippy. And, oh, take it off. And that's the, the external pressure that comes from out with us. And Paul says, God's love's stronger than the pressures that you face. None of those pressures from outside will separate you from the love of Christ. He will hold you to himself. It goes on. God's love is stronger, uh, verse 35, than the, uh, the hardship. Hardship. Distress. It's a compound word in Greek. Again, it's a sense of pressure from outside. Almost like uh, there's a narrow space. Stuff that constricts and brings pain upon us. Paul's saying, whatever the pains that you have in life, physical pain, God's not going to stop loving you. You may be feeling hopeless and helpless in a hospital bed, but no pain will ever stop God from loving you. You may not feel the love. The warm and the fuzzies might not be yours, but that pain will not separate you from Christ's love. That would have been quite novel at the time, for both Jewish and Gentile thought was if this pain came upon you, then the gods were angry, and you had somehow separated yourself from God's love. Paul says no. Pain will not separate you. From Christ's love. Nor, he goes on to say, will persecution. The idea there is being pursued. That's what the Greek word means. It appears there as being pursued for your faith. Facing opposition. And Paul says to these people in the church, probably starting to face opposition, at least social ostracism. That that separation you may have with your neighbours, that will not separate you from God's love. 
whatever you face at home or work or office, society, you will not be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God's love is stronger, Paul continues, than the whole idea of privation. It says here, what shall separate trouble, hardship, persecution, famine? Often when people were being persecuted or even socially ostracized in the first century world, shopkeepers wouldn't sell to them. They'd go hungry, perhaps. And saying, well, look in here. Even if you're hungry, even if your belly is rumbling, even when you're struggling to put stuff on the table, then you will not be separated from Christ's love. Nor will poverty, Paul goes on. The word being used here is nakedness. It's not idea of nudity. It's the idea of you don't have the proper clothes on your body. That won't separate you from Christ's love. He's not going to look down and say, Whoa, you're not wearing the latest fashionable gear. Get out of my sight. No. Even when you don't have that money to be able to buy the clothing and your clothes are an embarrassment to society, well, don't you worry, because it won't separate you from Christ's love. God's love, he continues and says, is stronger than the danger that you face. Now, Paul was an expert in danger. If there was a PhD in danger going out there, Paul would have been there teaching the course. He'd gone through it personally. If you want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 later on, you'll find out how he faced danger. The very same word is used here, peril and danger. And he had faced the danger personally of rivers, bandits, fellow Jewish believers, Gentile non-believers. He faced danger in the city, in the countryside, on the open sea, and false brothers. He knew, Paul knew personally, what it was to face this idea of peril or danger. He knew what it was like to live constantly at danger, chased from town to town. In fact, if you were looking for Paul in a town, the best chances of finding him would probably be in prison. Because that's where he would have ended up, it seemed to be, more often than not, uh, during his missionary travels. But even in prison, or even in danger, on the seas, facing the bandits or whatever, he's not been separated from God's love. God's love still held on to him. So Paul continues and says, well, even here in prison. The idea here is sword. It's not the long sword of battle. It's a short sword that was used for uh, execution, uh, especially by civil magistrates, uh, and could also be used for cutting up pieces of meat. So basically, being beheaded. Even, Paul says, if you're facing the ultimate sanction and death, that will not separate you from the love of God. Because even if you die, remember this, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, is raised from the dead, is alive. You cannot be separated from the love of Christ who lives and reigns supreme. So consider these live events, Paul saying to the Romans. You think God's forgotten you? Think again. Check on the list. See if you fit in. And I'm sure they would have been there going, that's what I'm going through, that's me, that's my situation. Paul likely had faced numbers 1 to 6 on that list. 
the trouble, the hardship, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the danger. And he was about to face the sword. And he certainly would one day face it. And Paul can say, listen, I've been there. I've done that. I've bought the t-shirt. I can confess that is my experience that Christ's love remains sure and eternal. He loves you whether you feel it or not. Whether the chips are down, he is there with us. Regardless of your experience, Romans, regardless of your experience, St. Stephen, his love is stronger than all that we face. So there is the strength of Christ's love. There's also the success of that love in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The love that we experience, God's love, Christ's love for us is not an average love. The Greek word that's translated in our text here, conquerors, is hupernikomen. Uh, it comes from the, the, the Greek root. There we get the word Nike. We can wear our Nike trainers. Uh, we can wear our shirts. Um, great favourites for the boys. They come in and show me, look, I've got a new pair of Nikes. You know, very proud there. And I'm supposed to be very impressed. Uh, and so, they, so we have this word, and it's the goddess of victory. And Paul's saying, we're not just victorious. We are hyper-victorious. We are hooper Nicoman. We are more than conquerors. We haven't just held on for a, for a draw. We haven't just sneaked a, a lucky win in, in the, you know, the final minutes just before the hooter goes off. No, no, no. We are more than conquerors. We are super-conquerors because of Christ's love for us. Christ's love is not average. In the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulties, the dangers, and all the rest in that, the previous verse, we are more than conquerors? Can you see the, the paradox? You know, we would be despised by the world. The Christians would have been looked down upon by the, by the first century world. And Paul saying, yeah, but you know what? Here's the reality. We're on the winning side. And what more? Christ has got that victory. The, the things that we're going through in life, we do so as hyper-victorious because of God's love for us in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Welsh preacher, uh, writing on this says, we are not simply enabled by his love to hold on and not fall away or falter. Neither is it the case that we just managed to attain a victory. We are more than conquerors. The Christian is not a man, woman, who manages somehow or another just to obtain an entrance into heaven. He is more than a conqueror. He merely stands up to these trials. He demolishes them. That's what we are. You didn't think so this morning when you came here. 
that you are a conqueror, more than a conqueror. And why are you more than a conqueror? Not because you're, you're clever. Not because you're more courageous or that you can endure more pain and hardship. That doesn't make you the conqueror. It's rather because he who has loved us makes us conquerors. It's the power of God's love within us. The ability to draw alongside us in our trials with his love. He brings us through. He makes us more than conquerors. Not we doing it. We remember him in times gone past and we pray for his time to come alongside us. The power of the Holy Spirit is also known as the, the, the paraclete. The paraclete comes, he comes before us, or comes alongside us to help us through the trials. For we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who has conquered all things through the cross. He loves you. He loves me. He is with you. He helps you get through all these things. That is why we trust. And that's why he gives us the troubles we face. Because God is with us in the trials and the difficulties. We are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. You notice the previous verse, verse 36, how we're described? Not big warriors. Not hugely important and significant people. We're sheep. Sheep. That's what we are. Paul speaks of us, quoting Psalm 44, as sheep. You don't see many conquering sheep, do you? Don't go along these roads, you know. You might have a sheep that wins a, a competition to being the best sheep. But you don't see the sheep, you know, taking on another animal, a lion or something, and going, you know, I'm the, you know, the king of the jungle now. You don't see many sheep being used as mascots for sporting teams, you know. You don't. Come on. They're despised animals. You know, they're weak. They're foolish. They stand in the middle of the road when you want to get past them in Scotland, nibbling tufts of grass that have grown through the tarmac. But that's what we are considered. We are sheep. Considered sheep to be slaughtered. We're despised. We're weak. We're foolish. We're dismissed. We are yesterday's people. We're backward intellectually. We don't use reason. All those things that dismiss the Christian. That's what we are to the world. We're despised sheep ready for the slaughter. God's eyes more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That's the love of God. The success of God's love. Which is foolishness to the world. The success of God's love is seen on the cross and it's regarded as foolishness and a scandal. But we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. United to him by faith. Experiencing his love. Finally, there is the safety of God's and Christ's love. In verses 38 and verse 39. Paul goes on to say, For I am convinced, convinced, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. I am convinced. I am totally persuaded. I have become convinced of these truths, Paul is saying. There's a difference between knowing something intellectually and being convinced that this is true. A head knowledge that doesn't impact in the rest of our lives. We may know that God cares, but are we convinced of that? We might underline things in our Bible and go, wow, is that great word? But how does it resonate with us when things start to become unglued in our lives and things are getting hot and difficult and we don't know what's going to happen? In a personal experience, last year, pack February, I was uh, going in for a minor operation, thinking, you know, I'll be in and out the same day, uh, only to wake up thinking, I'm not feeling too bad. That's been great. We quit dipping the tummy, you know. Fantastic. Feeling great. Be all soon out here until the, my consultant came and said, we didn't do the operation. We had one look at your bowel and we decided we needed to do biopsies. We really got to look at this as being cancer. I spent the night in, in hospital and had this strange sense of God's peace because at the end of the day, it's all very well for me to stand up here and preach this. But when the rubber hits the road, am I prepared to trust God in the midst of it? Is it true? Am I persuaded? Am I convinced of this love that will not let me go? It's true. This love does not let you go. His peace comes. And if we can use a pragmatic way, it works. God is enough. So Paul's not saying here, simply hope for the best. You know, he's saying, I am certain. He puts this in the Greek tense. Here's a Greek lesson for today. In the passive voice. I have been persuaded by God or by the Holy Spirit. That's the use of the passive in the Greek. It often points to God's uh, action. I have been persuaded because of God's love. It's not Paul convincing himself, positive thoughts, be upbeat. Rather, I have experienced what God has done for me. I have seen what he's done for me on the cross through Jesus Christ. I am persuaded through all the trials and the dangers and the perils I faced. I am persuaded by God himself of his love for us. And he gives a, a, a list here, ten things briefly. He asks the question, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And he gives us this list. He goes, not the crisis of death, nor the calamities of life. Neither death nor life, neither will separate me. Christ has abolished death. We read elsewhere where he says, um, uh, for me to die is gain. Paul knew that death might hurt. But it wouldn't separate him from God's love in Christ. So he's not afraid of life or death. And he's not afraid of life either. Sometimes it's harder. Life can be harder than death itself. There can be more tyranny in life. We can ask our fellow believers in, in South Sudan or, or in, uh, in certain parts of China. 
that it will not separate us from the love of Christ. Moreover, he says, life and death isn't going to separate neither angels nor demons. This, this, this network of the unseen world where people in the ancient world were obsessed, especially first, second century uh, Jewish and, and Greek thought, were obsessed with worrying about angels and demons. They were preoccupied to the nth degree. And he says, well, look, whatever they do, God's in control. God's, God, these, these angels, these demons, they will not separate you from God's love in Christ Jesus. goes on and says, neither the, the present nor the future. The cares of the day and the concerns of tomorrow. We've got them, haven't we? We're running up to Christmas. I'm sure we've got a list of concerns. Things that we've got to get done before the end of the year. All these things that are on the horizontal line of time. And God said, Paul saying, that won't separate you from, from Christ's love. Whatever happens today, or whatever you're worrying about tomorrow, they will not separate you from Christ's love. The present cannot harm us. And the future is hidden in Christ Jesus. No one can penetrate and destroy God's love for us. You're surrounded by his love today and tomorrow. Nothing can sneak up behind God's back to pluck us out of his hand. He goes on, not just from the, the, the temporal level sense of time, he goes, neither height nor depth, nor all the, the various powers that might be, nothing on the, the vertical line can separate us out. God is not going to cast us away. We are his children. He loves us. And the events and the very forces of evil itself, they will not do it either. And he goes on, not anything else in all creation. Nothing. 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 And God's created all things. He's the only uncreated one. And so all creation, everything in the cosmos is subject to Jesus Christ. Nothing at all, he then says, will able to separate us from the love of God. That's a great checklist. It's a great list to go through and ask yourself, has God forgotten me? Answer, no. Has God separated himself from me? No. You are covered. Totally covered. It's like insurance companies. Heard on the radio this morning about a couple from Canada who decided to have a, a, a pre-kids, they had a little baby due, they were six months pregnant, they decided to have a holiday in Hawaii and the lady's waters broke and uh, she got taken to the hospital and the, babies were, or the baby was uh, premature so she was in intensive care and the rest. And, and they went to the insurance company and they said, listen, and they went, no, you're not covered. It was a foreseen you had a medical condition. And it's, you were, you were, I was pregnant. Well, that was the, you had a, 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 an infection in the bladder that you didn't tell us about. Even though they'd been passed by the doctor and they accepted the money. There was a loophole. The, the insurance company squirmed through the loophole. And God says to us here, look at this list. Look for the loophole. 
There's no loophole. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Nothing at all. High, low, tomorrow, today. It doesn't matter. Angelic, good angels, bad angels, demons. Nothing at all will separate you from God's love in Jesus Christ. Check check the small print, God says. Get the magnifying glass. Take it to a lawyer. Take it to a theologian. See if anything is covered. No. It's all covered by God. To you this morning, you may be feeling, I'm not loved by God. I may think God may have forgotten me. Well, here are the words of the children's hymn. Great favourite, many a theologian. Jesus loves me, this I know. Or the Bible tells me so. Jesus knows me. Jesus loves me. And I am fully persuaded, totally convinced by God himself, that I am loved eternally, steadfastly, faithfully, eternally, by God through Jesus Christ. May that be known to us today. That love of Jesus Christ. That love that will not let me go. It's not a great uh, favourite of mine, but words are good. The old hymn written by Scottish uh, minister George Matheson, O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Matheson wrote this on the eve of his sister's wedding. Oh, love that will not let me go. And it was bittersweet because George Matheson, in his just time in university, started to go blind. And uh, he went to his fiancée and told her that uh, he was going blind and that would be inevitable. It would happen very, very shortly. And she broke off the engagement and uh, his sister came, George Matheson's sister came to, to look after him, basically as his housekeeper for many years, until her marriage. And uh, he, so he knew what it was to have love and have love go out the door and never come back in his fiancée. But he could look to the cross, he could look to Christ, and he could write these words and say, Oh love, that will not let me Go. Yeah. That's the love of God. And we need to know that love more as Christians. A love that will not let you go, will not let me go. He loves you. Brennan Manning, an, Irish, uh, an American writer, writes a little thing about an Irish priest walking along the roads of Ireland. And he comes and he meets an old peasant man kneeling by the side of the road praying. There are lots of little shrines in Ireland. And the priest was really impressed. And he said, you must be very close to God. And the peasant said, yes, he is very fond of me. He's very fond 
of you. He's the one who comes in love and draws alongside us in our unlovableness. In our sin, he draws near to us in Christ. Nothing will separate us from that love. As I close, do you know that love? Is that your experience? Are you fully convinced of that love of Christ? Well, his arms are available. A loving God's arms from which none can be separated. May we all come to Christ and experience that love for ourselves. Let us pray.